Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the BBC comedy series Motherland and the film Ingrid Goes West. Anna has also watched the 1984 series Robin of Sherwood for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to yet another episode of Seriously. Thanks to everyone who came to our Harry Potter quiz on Tuesday. I think it was a success. I think so. People seemed to have a good time. There was the usual healthy debate around various aspects of wizarding trivia. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think it went off very well. So that's our last quiz for this year. Wow. But we will be back next year with lots more. So if you didn't get to come to any this year, never fear. Keep listening. Keep checking our website, seriouslypod.com. And we'll be announcing new dates quite soon. Exciting. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Motherland, a BBC sitcom written by Sharon Horgan and Graham Linehan. It stars Anna Maxwell-Martin as Julia, a working mother struggling to keep up with the competing demands of work and family life. Diane Morgan, best known for her character of Philomena Kunk, plays Julia's friend Liz, and Paul Reddy portrays their stay-at-home dad friend Kevin. So we first talked about Motherland last year I think didn't we yeah it was one of the BBC three comedy pilots maybe last September it was quite a while ago now and I learned as well reading online that because it's written by Sharon Horgan it's actually been hanging around a lot longer than that she first wrote it in about 2011 and it was tried out in America for the ABC network and didn't work or got rejected or whatever so and then she reworked it as a British thing that's so interesting as a backstory to this show because I think one of the most striking things about this series is how British it is. Mm, Yeah, very much so. There are American equivalents of this type of humour about the kind of imperfect mother. We've seen the Bad Moms franchise in America. Mm. It kind of reminds me of the mum in Malcolm in the Middle at points in that she's very harassed, very unable to kind of keep a grip on her family. But there's something quite vicious and quite dark about it that to me, feels very British in the fact that Anna Maxwell Martin's character is so stressed out by motherhood that she is actually deeply unlikable. Very much so. She's really unreasonable at times. It's really exemplified in her relationship with her own mother, who we saw in the pilot basically retired from being free childcare, which is something she's perfectly entitled to do. And now she's trying to enjoy her own life and 
go swimming and have coffee with her friends and not be constantly on call when her daughter's life falls apart. But Anna Maxwell Martin's character behaves like this is the worst thing anyone has ever done to her. I've watched the first three episodes and every episode has a confrontation between her and her mother where she's like, could you just, you know, do everything for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In a really unlikable way. And then she ends every conversation by kind of shouting unbelievable at her. Just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so she's horrible, isn't she? And she's like, mm. the way she treats her friends is horrible. And it's that, again, something that I find very British humour of like somebody trying to manipulate everyone around them to get something they want, but also not thinking that that makes them a horrible person. <laughs> I mean, she's even horrible to her own daughter, one of the kids that she's allegedly going through all of this hassle for, when she organises this birthday party. But the only reason for the birthday party is to try and get quid pro quo free childcare from the parents who bring their kids to the party. Mm -hmm. Then when the daughter gets sick and is like vomiting upstairs and obviously can't enjoy the party she doesn't cancel it because the childcare is more important yeah and she's she's decided it's too late and i think part of that is you know her maybe not really paying attention to the kid instead mm. worrying about you know blowing up balloons and that kind of thing which is you know a very difficult juggling act of motherhood where you have to do both these things but she just handles yeah. it all so terrifically terribly <laughs> there's something of faulty towers about it actually i think yeah. the kind of dark grimness of the comedy that birthday party episode made me think of that particularly you know how sometimes in faulty towers the episodes would kind of get screwed up to a point of tension where john cleese's character was running around trying to put out several fires at the same time yeah. with this rictus grin on his face like no no everything's fine everything's fine yeah it's true it's really true and and he would be so angry and harassed and, and mm. volatile as the thing got worse and worse that it's almost like not enjoyable to watch because you're like yeah. cringing out of your mind it has got that very farcical element to it totally but I do overall find it enjoyable to watch though because they've done a very clever thing with the characters where yeah Anna Maxwell Martin's character of Julia is an awful person but she's surrounded by people who are less awful mm. so I particularly like Diane Morgan's character Liz because she just seems to take a lot more in her stride. She's a lot less stressed out. And, you know, she's just nicer. Like that scene we were describing where Julia's daughter Ivy is really ill. Julia's downstairs trying to pretend that nothing's happening. Liz is upstairs with the kid holding a bowl for her to be sick in and like watching Bargain Hunt with her. Yeah. Which seems more like what a mothering adult would do. Totally. And I so agree with you that Liz is probably the best thing about this show. I don't know why you relate to her. So she is just a nicer character and you relate to her much more quickly. There are things that are weirder about her. She like will suggest slightly more odd things. Like she will be the one who says like, oh, just have a birthday party. All you have to do is like shove them in front of like this like really boring thing and then they'll be fine. Mm. It's like not a big deal. She's Well, she says throw a pound coin into a room yeah. and tell them to find yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, she's the one who's kind of got these very low-fi ideas about parenting. But I don't know, there's just something really sympathetic about her and like there's a whole plot line about the father of her children and her ex-husband and she's so um sympathetic in that plot line and mm. you really feel for her it's just a great comic performance from diane morgan the other character that i think absolutely makes this for me is lucy punch as amanda who's the kind of blonde yeah. <laughs> preening perfect mum who like wants to do everything right and again as the show goes on she gets a bit more well-rounded with more plots about her personal life 
but she's just fantastic. It's just such a great performance that she, where she really like inflects all this insecurity and all these power dynamics into literally everything mm. she says. Like the way she can be like, oh, Kevin, what are you doing here? And just really like to stabilize his entire day. <laughs> mm. It's so clever. And without those two performances, I wouldn't get on with this show so well because... I do find the protagonist so unlikable and I do find some of the plots genuinely like difficult to watch. But, you know, we talked about this in Fleabag with Olivia Coleman and Fleabag having these conversations that are so barbed, but so in the things that are left unsaid. And there's lots of that in Amanda's conversations with other parents, which mm. is, is great, really vicious. Yeah, in, in some ways she reminds me of Regina George. Yeah. Like she is the, the queen bee of the parenting community at this particular school, even down to the fact that the cafe where they all hang out has like the cool table and the what they call the toilet table, mm-hmm. which is where Julia and Liz and Kevin sit. Yeah, totally. And also in that vein, which again, I think very influenced by Regina George is Gwendolyn Riley, who's the kind of the baddest mom in Bad Moms. Mm. She's very, very similar to Amanda. They even have some of the same lines I wrote about this for the New Statesman in September last year where she'll she'll say you know oh I couldn't possibly be a working mum I just love my kids too much like they they Mm. both have an almost identical line like that this is the better work motherland because it is a bit more sparky and a bit more horrible and therefore a little bit more real maybe you know bad moms is Mm. obviously so over the top and they're like punching each other literally which would I don't think would ever really happen in this show no in that sense it's more stereotypically British comedy right because they they wound with words and it's Mm -hmm. all about subtle differentiation about class like there's a line in the birthday party episode where Liz is like well no one's seen inside your house before so obviously all these parents are coming in to like snoop on you and Mm -hmm. see exactly what it is you've been hiding and who you are and there is definitely a sense that you know Julia aspires to being this kind of Sheryl Sandberg having it all executive type Mm -hmm. woman but actually she's got a kind of mid-level job and a okay but quite messy house and a husband who I love the husband character incidentally who is only ever in it for about two seconds when she's phoning him to say where are you and he's always off doing some like stereotypically masculine activity like go-karting or football yeah she is essentially a single mum in the show yeah but then she does have a husband who's just never there which is great and I do think makes her a lot more sympathetic because you're like hang mm. on why is she doing this all on her own this is crazy there's a great bit where she uh, sort of semi-apologizes to her mum and she's like I'm sorry about the system mother I'm sorry that <laughs> patriarchy means that <laughs> I have to do everything which is great because you are like, ah, actually, she's kind of right. It's not quite the level of something like Detectorists or This Country, which are so my bag because the characters are so sympathetic and you just like love them with every bit of you. And I haven't quite got to that level with these characters because they're not meant to be as likable, which is fine. No. But like even ca- Catastrophe, Sharon Horgan's other work, you, you even when they're being horrible, you love them so much that you can't, I don't know... for me motherland doesn't quite fall into that bracket of comedy shows i would like go to the grave watching but it is fun and it is clever and it is you know very barbed Uh, incidentally i do think julia's house is amazing it's just messy it is amazing yeah and that's kind of one of the other things that make you less sympathetic towards her because you just think you know actually your life is fine that is something actually that is quite british about this is it's a comedy of very small differences yeah 
her life is ultimately fine if she just calmed down a bit it would probably all work out yeah life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Now we're going to talk about Ingrid Goes West, which is a Los Angeles set film starring Aubrey Plaza as the titular Ingrid, a young woman with mental health issues and a propensity to fall into unrequited friend crushes via Instagram. She fixates on the social media star Taylor Sloan, played here by Elizabeth Olsen, and engineers a real-life friendship with her that then has disastrous consequences. The couple that yogas together stays together. Hashtag perfect. True romance vibes. Hashtag yes. perfect. Perfect. Congratulations. Oh my god, it's Ingrid Sorburn. I thought she was in an insane asylum. Live in the sunshine, swim in the sea. Hashtag California. LA is the best. I'm making a ton of new friends. You should totally follow me on Instagram. Are you an escort or something? Suspicious. Can I treat? I'm calling about a lost dog named Roscoe. I'm Taylor. Have we met before? No. Maybe you're confusing her with one of your Insta fans. <laughs> You are by far the coolest, most interesting person I've ever met. <laughs> You're so funny. I love you so much. You're amazing. My best friend Taylor has been helping me explore my creative side. If you got lower, that would be better. You mean on the floor? Yeah. Thanks. You're the best. I need you to tell everyone you're my boyfriend. What is this? Why are you acting like this? You don't even like these people. I do like them. Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's dope. <laughs>
phone. Your password to your phone is my sister's birthday. I'm not a psychopath. I own you. I just want to be her friend. Are you actually insane? Yeah, it's all done through Instagram, right? Like, yeah, that is the social media of choice in this whole film. We don't really see her on any other kind of social networks, but we do see literally see her on Instagram, which I mm, like. A lot. Like the phone, the her scrolling through the phone features in it a lot. That's how we as viewers first meet the character of Taylor Sloan as as well as Ingrid. So I don't know. I feel like we've talked quite a lot about like social media in film and TV on Seriously. And I don't know what you made of this in those terms. I thought this was a pretty good portrayal of it, actually, in that it wasn't your stereotypical like, oh, social media ruining the lives of young Mm -hmm. people type thing. But nor was it like a stilted insert into the plot to try and make something seem up to date or young. Mm. You know, it was completely central to the plot and it allowed them to explore ideas of like how people connect now. A different sort of film would have had Ingrid and Taylor make friends via social media and be genuine friends. You know, it's just Mm. that this particular friendship goes really sour. But also it explores this idea that, you know, the life you present via something like Instagram is very different to the life that you actually have. And this idea of everything being fake or put on or curated to produce a particular appearance is I think quite well articulated here yeah and I think the way that the film ends kind of brings it back too much from being Mm. like everyone's lying on social media all the time and has an element of like people are hungry for authenticity in a way that's also kind of unhealthy because there's not that much of it when you see something that's authentic people like really cling to it and really I don't know become kind of unhealthily into it I loved this movie, I have to say. I thought it was so spot on in Mm. its treatment of not just social media, but a particular zeitgeist. Everything that Taylor Sloan, the Elizabeth Olsen character, portrays. There's this great montage, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in, where she first discovers her Instagram and she's talking about, you know, Sun, Sea, California. And Mm. there's this kind of clicking in the background and every click presents you with a new picture And all of them are just like so spot on. It's like a really beautiful avocado toast, something obvious like that. But then there's also cauliflower samosas. There's, I saw like a copy of Sweet Bitter, which was like a really popular book for loads of women in that sort of circle. You know, they go to Pappy and Harriet's, which is that venue that Lord did her um, her (laughs) album preview at. Like that world, I think, is so accurately pierced it's not just like oh we'll get her to wear hippie clothes it's like okay we've got the right bag we and we're going to name check the bag and we're going to like be in the same Mm. shop as where you can buy that bag and for me that just gave it a level of satire that was just I was laughing and also kind of felt a bit like attacked (laughs) by by this movie I just I don't know it really really did what it set out to do so well you know every character is lying about themselves in some way in this movie and they're all doing it because they want to connect with people in some way and they're all a bit vulnerable and a bit lonely and they're all just trying really hard to maybe be something they're not in order to reach out and obviously Aubrey Plaza's character is doing that 
the most because she literally starts going to the restaurants that Taylor Sloan's character goes mm. to and going to the shops to bump into her, dyeing her hair, buying new clothes, like literally changing her personality so that Taylor Sloan might like her and become friends mm. with her. And I think possibly the most egregious thing she does early on is steal her dog and then return it yeah, to so her. that she can bring it back so that yeah. she can be like oh i happen to find your dog and then she gets invited in for a glass of wine and you know their friendship goes on from there but she's looking in her bathroom cabinets so, so that she can make up something that they have in common anything so she's obviously the one who's like doing that to a really extreme degree and it becomes really uncomfortable because you're seeing her fall down this rabbit hole and she's doing increasingly extreme things like borrowing someone's car and like crashing it and not returning it it all gets so out of hand But every character is doing that to an extent, apart from this one guy she meets who just fucking loves Batman and, like, isn't going to apologise for it. (laughs) He's portrayed as the only, quote, real person in this, in that, yeah, he just really loves Batman. He's trying to be a screenwriter and he just finds the whole curated life quite baffling. Like They end up hooking up and she takes him to a party with all these Instagram people and she tries to micromanage what he wears and like, mm. how he wears his shirt and what hat he wears and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he's not against that. Like He sort of lets her do it, but he's just a bit like, I don't really understand why this hat is better than that mm. hat and whatever. This hat seems more like something I would wear. Yeah, and he's an interesting character because even he is kind of doing that stuff in that he like he's doing things that make him uncomfortable even if there's no pretense about it like he's lending Ingrid Mm. his car when he doesn't really want to lend her his car and he needs it back by you know he's like putting himself out there for these people when he doesn't really want to be and I don't know I do think that they're whether it's through Instagram or not there's obviously this whole thing of people want to be liked and people will diminish themselves in order to try and be liked or change themselves in order to try and be liked and you see Mm. that all the time and it's a a great look at that and it's a great look at how if you're already vulnerable because the film starts with Ingrid losing her mother and she's already a bit unstable and we've seen her go through an experience of obsession with a friend that's ended with her like literally turning up at her wedding and macing her Mm. a great very very tiny performance from the girl from search party there it's a good look at how if you're like actually falling into a hole of self-loathing or loneliness or if you're particularly vulnerable if you've got existing mental health problems or anything like that how all of these problems can quite quickly become really exacerbated which I think is true. Mm. There's a really great scene, you're right, early on when her mum's died and she's got out of the hospital that she's been in for a few weeks and she's just lying on the hospital bed in their front room that obviously her mum was using before she died and she's scrolling through Instagram and she's doing the like scroll, tap, tap, Mm. scroll, tap, tap, scroll, tap, tap and the phone light is lighting up her face and she's just so miserable. Mm. Amazing performance by Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, totally. Because... So much of it is like what I think of as face acting, yeah. <laughs> where she has to be acting just with her face because she's looking at a phone or she's observing a conversation and we're interested in how she's digesting it, you know. Yeah, and acting is such a thing where she's trying to be normal, but she's great at having mm. this kind of lingering wildness behind the eyes, which show that to us that oh, she's yeah. like in way too deep. <laughs> Like there's a great moment where she brings Rosé into a party and Taylor is like not really paying her that much attention. She's paying her brother who's come to visit more attention than her. And she just like yells over the top of them like, I brought Rosé. 
to try and like get the attention back on her and it's so desperate but it's so funny can we talk briefly about the ending yeah as we've hinted this toxic friendship with taylor all kind of spirals a bit out of control and ingrid ends up in this not very nice house which is next door to taylor's house in joshua tree and she decides that there's, she's been found out, everything's gone awful, there's nothing that more that she can do to rescue herself. So she decides that she's going to end her life. Mm. But she does it in a very interesting way, in that she posts her first, quote, real video. She does a kind of suicide note video where she says, nothing was real, but this is real. And then she lies down amongst all these candles and swallows a load of pills. Spoiler alert, it's all fine, because... The one nice guy sees the post and calls the ambulance and she wakes up in hospital. They could very easily have made this film a morality tale, Mm. you know, made it that she did some bad things and then she got what she deserved. Or they could have made it an unequivocally happy ending in that she tried to kill herself, she was rescued and she learned the error of her ways and deleted all her social media profiles. Mm. But actually what happens is somewhere in between because... Even in what she thinks is going to be her death, she's presenting this curated idea because she lies down amid all these candles and it's all meant to look very flattering. And even her, quote, authentic video, the fact that she even makes that at all, I suppose, hints that she hasn't quite given up on wanting people to like her. Yeah, and she's almost killing herself as her phone battery dies. And she's like Mm, so unhealthily attached to it that she can't envisage life going on sort of without it, which is maybe a bit extreme. But I agree with you. It's almost like a horror movie ending where she films this video, posts it, miraculously doesn't die, wakes up in hospital and everyone who has watched this video has had such a strong reaction to it that it's gone viral. There's this hashtag, I am Ingrid going viral and she sees her notifications blowing up and kind of smiles and that's the end of the movie and you're like wait no she's learned nothing yeah exactly and it's really scary you know i'm sure that there are many fair criticisms you could make of this film in terms of that instagram social media taking over people's brains hysteria or an insensitive portrayal of mental health and an unrealistic portrayal of someone with mental health problems Mm. but for me it hovers in that space between satire and emotional realism and I really loved the ending I loved that it was kind of like okay you think maybe she's woken up to how bad this situation has got but she's just found a new road that she can go down to feed that part of her brain but when you're addicted to something and you can like you can be addicted to anything and you can be addicted to Instagram and (laughs) that's what Ingrid is going through in this movie you don't just mm. wake up one day and you're like cured <laughs> even even yeah, exactly. if you attempted suicide so I liked it I liked that it was ambiguous I liked that it was provocative I liked that it was kind of sparky and even if it's not the most subtle or nuanced way to end the film I, I really liked it mm, yeah I did too I thought it was really clever and there were so many mixed messages contained in that tiny last little scene. So yeah, as you say, she does get all wide-eyed and like, wow, I'm a bigger star than ever mm. when she sees all of the notifications. But at the same time, the guy who actually cares about her in real life is sat next to her bed. You know, she's now got somebody that wants her to live, mm. you know, in the boldest mm. terms. So you kind of think, well, 
maybe this could work. Maybe she has someone who will help her manage this problem and at very least like make her put her phone down and watch Batman movies occasionally. Yeah. But it also speaks to something quite real as well. Confessing about your mental health online is something that people like to see that confessional strain of like social media like i follow some artists on instagram who are very very much like doing instagram stories every day being like you know this is how i feel today and it's great for so many reasons because it it gives people the awareness that they're not alone which is obviously why so many people do this hashtag i am ingrid thing and ingrid goes west but you worry sometimes has it got to a point where people feel that they have to do that or that that's the only way to I don't know. I see I see writers, for example, who know that when they write about their own personal mental health, they get way more readers than if they don't. Mm. And you don't want people to feel ever that they kind of have to constantly confess their mental yeah. state in order to be authentic. You can not do that if that's healthier for you and still be authentic. I don't know. It It just speaks to a moment so vividly. I think it really taps into so many current things so well that, you know, that really impressed me. I think it's great. And I would highly recommend that listeners head to the cinema and watch it. It just came out last Friday, so it should be on somewhere near you. So last week, I recommended that Anna watch Robin of Sherwood, a 1984 adaptation of the immortal Robin Hood story. Anna, what did you make of it? Yeah, so I watched Robin and the Sorcerer, I think it's called part one. Mm. So I didn't watch part two. Yeah, it's kind of amazingly camp and amazingly spirited. And I immediately understood why I think a man of a certain generation would have so much nostalgia for this because... Robin is very charismatic as a character in this and you know the band of merry men are very like charismatic and they're quite like there are just like little cute moments like they push Robin into a river there's that kind of homosocial bonding that I found very kind of adorable and very sweet so yeah I completely understood its appeal immediately obviously it's dated now to watch in 2017 and that's kind of funny a lot of it is very hammy the lord baron character who's you know in that very healthy tradition of men trying to get these younger so almost semi-related women to to marry them he's after marion and he's also seemingly up to some kind of like dark arts have i got that right he's like in these weird church Mm, scenes and he's like a great camp hammy villain and that's that's really good fun. And, you know, there are good back and forth scenes between Sheriff Robert and his brother, who's like in the clergy. All of that stuff I thought was really fun. The action scenes for me are the bits that maybe bore me more, but I've never really been into, you know, action scenes or sword fighting scenes. And so that's where I was kind of like looking at the time. I, d- I totally get its appeal and it is really charming. So, yeah, in part two of robin and the sorcerer you get a lot more of the like devil worship stuff by the way yeah that becomes a very big plot point but one of the reasons i really liked this when i watched it was that it's like no other robin hood adaptation i'd ever seen really mm. it's focus on kind of the land and the countryside and loyalty also it's just quite naive and upbeat i find yeah naive um, is definitely the it's word. not at all cynical yeah exactly it's very well cast and 
it's been cast mm. with a kind of shared spirit in mind and that really comes across really well. We had some interesting messages actually via Twitter DM from someone with the name John Stalker, which is a bit alarming, but John says, since you mentioned the class aspect of Robin Hood, this is I was talking about this last mm. week, how it's very much like us versus mm. them. And actually my boyfriend made the point that because it of when the show actually came out in the sort of mid 80s it was very much seen at the time as a kind of lefty comment on thatcherism mm. because you know you had a lot all the strikes and the miners being put out of work and all that kind of stuff yeah. and this is very much like an attack on the working class yeah there's a little line in there about the politics and like you know money or being bled dry to pay for foreign wars and mm. you know this kind of speech about a regressive government that is very applicable across different periods of history so anyway um john says uh, since you mentioned class in robin hood i just wanted to say that posh robin is a relatively recent phenomenon the earliest ballads are clear that he's a yeoman and then he sent me some mid-English ballad. And then he says, um, so he's not exactly poor, but he's also not a gentleman and certainly not a member of the nobility. Mm. So the BBC are right, at least about the class ba- aspects of the story, although the ballads don't generally mention 80s haircuts and have more killing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that's very interesting. Thank you very much. I really liked, there's a line in it where the posh villain of the first episode, he's really just some kind of like soldier for the king mm. is like I don't like liars and even more I don't like Saxon liars <laughs> yes there is a very interesting like Saxon v Norman yeah. thing in this because I think it's meant to be set about a hundred years after the conquest mm-hmm, I think so yeah said like 11 something at the beginning yeah there's very much the sense that the the Norman barons are still the kind of foreign oppressor and the true english saxons are the working class people mm. trying to get what they deserve <laughs> that kind of thing so yeah anyway it's, it's an interesting melange of references and ideas and if anyone's in the market for some amazing 80s hair in a forest i <laughs> recommend watching it for next week i thought something that i've have been seeing people talk about on twitter and other social networks and in the media that's kind of been growing in terms of its kind of critical attention is the good place on netflix mm. which stars kristen bell in the lead role as eleanor who has ended up she's died we realize in the first 5 minutes and she's gone to the good place and the good place is obviously a conception of heaven in this show there's just the good place and the bad place but quite quickly eleanor realizes that maybe she's not supposed to be in the good place and maybe she was meant to all along to go to the bad place but someone's made a mistake and kind of a classic story of like someone who is an outsider and doesn't fit in in a certain community but it's very weird as you can imagine from somewhere that's just like okay we've Mm. got to just invent this world that's kind of like a heaven-esque world so it's full of very bizarre tangents but I have a feeling it's the kind of thing you'll like Caroline so I've watched most of season one but it's on season two now oh wow okay so yeah I wasn't aware of this at all I got one of those automated Netflix emails telling me that I would like it Mm. based on what I'd also watched but having looked at the kind of episode artwork and so on, I was like, ooh, no, I don't want to watch this. Oh, really? And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter having the same reaction in my timeline, kind of saying, like, I wasn't really sure what The Good Place was on about, but now I've watched the entire first season and it's amazing. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how the the way it's been marketed has matched up with actually what it's about. So, yeah, looking forward to it. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you enjoyed on the show we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.